Hey, Graham. Hey, Carl. Tell me, what is the biggest cybersecurity headache for sysadmins? Oh, that's easy. It's the users, isn't it? They're the pain. Exactly. And imagine if you could have a kit that had everything you needed to roll out cybersecurity training to all your users. That would be fantastic. But I imagine it would cost an awful lot of money. No, it's completely free. Our friends at Forces have created this amazing kit and you can download it for free from their website, forces.co.uk slash toolkit. That's Forces, F-O-U-R-S-Y-S. You're telling me that if you just go to forces.co.uk slash toolkit, you can download this fabulous piece of training material and get your staff up to speed when it comes to computer security. Bingo. Sounds fabulous. Well, thank you to Forces for that. And thank you to Forces as well, because I heard they're actually sponsoring our show this week. Don't sound surprised. It's a good show. (laughs) Smashing Security, Episode 11, WikiLeaks and the CIA, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security. Smashing Security, episode 11 for Thursday, the 9th of March, 2017. And I'm joined, as always, by my buddy, Carole. Hello, Carole. Hello. And we've got a special guest with us today, haven't we? Very special. Who's trying not to snigger in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can't tell already, it is a luminary from the computer security industry, Mr. Paul Ducklin. Hello, Duck. Hello, chaps. Uh, Thanks for having me. And, uh, Duck, for those people who don't know you, introduce yourself, explain who you are and why you're here and that sort of thing. (laughs) Why are you here? (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Well, uh, my name is Paul Ducklin. I work for Sophos, where I have worked for many years. And most of what I do these days is to write security explanations, issues such as cryptography, malware and so forth, for our naked security website what i like to talk about as sessi cowie which is security explained so you can actually understand it and is Um, this is this acronym sessi cowie is that taking off in a big way at the moment uh it's it's done about as well unfortunately as vori wogom (laughs) which i know is one of yours which i still like and i still use and i used it today and i think it's kind of an important thing for security companies to get their heads around voice Um, of reason in a world gone mad yes in other words a bit less of the speculation and a bit more of the usable facts (laughs) that help us all lift our game a bit (laughs) (laughs) so uh what have you been up to since we last recorded um well i've actually been playing with the nintendo classic mini uh so I got one for my husband because he did me a he did me a solid. So I bought him a treat, which is the Nintendo Entertainment System. Do you remember this? It's the old one from 1986, but it's been miniaturized to this like palm-sized console. This is a video game console. Yes, right from okay. from 86. So it's all the original games. You know, you've got your Donkey Kongs and your Pac-Man. So, um, but it's not a Game Boy, right? No, no, no. It's like a proper console with a little handset. Hang as on, you a Game thought. Boy is a proper console. <laughs> it is, but it doesn't connect to your TV. It has its own screen, doesn't it? I think in the modern era, that could be considered something of an advantage. 1986. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, it was really fun. And I, uh, I've, I had a really good time playing with that last night. So you're having a really pixely time at the moment. It sounds good. It sounds good fun. And, you know, 
I think it's quite good to experience those kind of games in the old-fashioned way before you go and swap over to the Nintendo Switch and the latest Legend of Zelda and all the super-duper graphics you get today. So it it sounds a lot of fun. Um, What isn't so much fun, of course, is some of the stuff which happens in security sometimes. Sometimes it's not as smashing as we might like. And the hot topic, as we're recording this is the fact that WikiLeaks, God bless me, they've published thousands of pages of what appear to be leaked internal CIA documents. Uh, yep, Julian Assange has uh, released what he calls Vault 7. He's I don't know if there's a Vault 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Where do they come up with these crazy names from? I don't know. But he says it's the largest ever publication of confidential documents on the CIA. And much of it is focused on how the CIA could attack and spy on devices, particularly smartphones, and in particular iPhones, which are generally thought to be more secure than Android. Have you guys seen any of the headlines around this stuff? Oh, yeah, and it's likely to really ruffle some feathers, isn't it? Some of the reporting, I think, has probably been quite sloppy, actually. Mm. Um, so we saw, for instance, WikiLeaks claim that the CIA can use zero-day vulnerabilities um, to bypass the encryption of popular chat apps like WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, um, and Confide, which is the one which uh, it's alleged that the Trump administration or some members of it might have been using to secretly communicate with each other. Uh-huh. But it's not really the case. It's not. It doesn't seem, though, that the CIA have really uh, broken the encryption of these, which obviously would be huge news and alarming for many people. Instead, it looks like what the CIA have been doing is they've been using zero-day vulnerabilities maybe to snoop on smartphones, so to break smartphones and to commandeer smartphones. And, of course, once they control a phone, then they can see anything which is going on it. They can see the conversations. They, they can see what's what's happening through those sort of devices. You know what it's they? like? You know what it's like when there's a big data leak like this, when there's like 10,000 documents out, you know? People are out there, they're reading the headlines, they're just reading the summaries, and they're throwing out articles as fast as they can. And I think in the coming days, we're going to find out, you know, what everything distills down to. Cause there's but, be don't, but, don't, but don't you think, in this time, when we keep on seeing mm. allegations of some of the media being, you know, fake news, dare I say it, <laughs> that we, we do need the journalists to do a bit of a better job. I mean, for instance, the New York Times, right, which yeah. most of us, I know there are some notable exceptions, uh, respect as an august media organisation. They ended up deleting some of their tweets because they got so carried away with this news. I guess there's always this push, isn't there, to be the first with the breaking news one in order to get the clicks. One of the I've got with a lot of the stories we've had, not necessarily this one, but in general, when you get a big leak or you know a big expose of a large number of documents that have a, a whole history behind them, you know, you're thinking back to Ed Snowden and the Chelsea Manning yeah. stuff, is that it's almost as though you end up with headlines that tell the story as it was at some unknown time in the past. And that's a big problem when you say, oh, we've got loads of zero days. And for all we know, that might be, well, there was a zero day for a bit, and then that was patched seven years ago and this one worked for a few months and then it was patched in april and so on and that's the problem oh there are loads of zero days unfortunately there are at least some zero days maybe not as many as some people might like us to want to believe that that occur in products that appear in products and those who don't patch who don't use the latest versions who don't uh, 
adopt safe practices may get caught out long after the fact. You know, the fact that ancient、mm. malware still gets、mm. a grip on some people's computers is evidence、mm-hmm. of that. But this idea of wow, giant zero day storm. Unfortunately,、yeah. there's an awful lot of work to do to put that into context and say when this thing was a zero day and when it wasn't. So you also get people going, oh well, there's all these zero days. Like, have you got samples and do you detect them? And so thinking, well, if we did, by definition, they wouldn't really be zero days, would、yes. they? So it's almost <laughs>、yeah. as though we get excited by the word zero day without considering that sometimes, fortunately, zero days are only、uh, there for a very short time, particularly if you're on the ball with patching. And since this story first broke, we've seen Apple actually. They've come out and said, well, most of these things are already、yeah. fixed. Um, and I believe they were also talking in some of the documents about alleged zero-day vulnerabilities in antivirus software. And from the discussions I've had with some antivirus companies, it sounds like some of those certainly are old issues as well, which may have been resolved、um, some time ago. So people don't have to worry. Of course, people who might have to worry are, like you said, those people who aren't updating, who aren't patching themselves. And that makes me begin to think about what about all those Android users, where if you've got a Google-branded device. There's a good chance that you're receiving security well, updates good, on it. There's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, <there's, laughs> but, if, but there's even less of a chance if you are using a device manufactured by some of the other vendors. Well, it's worse than that, Graham. There. there might be there might be zero chance because. Uh, mm. I remember there were a couple of years ago going to look into this and thinking, well, I wonder what the I forget what the context was, but it was you know what versions of Android are in the shops at the moment. And I went、mm. and, and on my way into work, I, I stopped at a at a popular mobile phone shop along the way, and I went in and I went straight to the budget table, you know where where you're going to pay a hundred dollars、yep. or less for your phone. And I looked at these devices, and some of them were quite neat, perfectly usable, and they were already using versions of Android that. Had not been. They were still using versions of Android that had not been supported for a year or so, and、really? this was two years ago. You know, when, when everyone was,、mm. you're supposed to be going towards version five and version four dot four. Well, that's that's the last. That's the the oldest one you really want to consider. You could buy an off the shelf device, and it was you know it was well priced for that reason, I suppose, and it had say Android four dot two on it, and it was pretty clear that. When you bought that device, not only was it already out of date, but you were never going to get updates, and that was sort of by design. And it seems a bit of a pity that maybe it's not made a little bit clearer to the people who are buying them. And every month that goes past, the situation is getting worse. I mean, just this week we've seen Google.、Uh, there's been another Android security bulletin. Scores of vulnerabilities have been patched.、Mm. So you know that the operating system. It's been patched. That's great that Google's、mm-hmm. done that and they they fixed that. But now we've got this challenge of how are we going to get those patches to those users? And like you said, many of them simply there is no route whatsoever through which they're going to get it, and so they're going to remain vulnerable. Yes, and if you're going to buy that forty-five dollar phone that you think's great value, and then you need to do a little bit of homework. It's almost like personal.、Yeah. Due diligence, where you go, you, you so you need to learn with Android how you go into the settings、uh, page and how you find out what the Android version is, and you know the, all the, the the relevant serial number details and the vendor and even perhaps the carrier, you know the, the mobile phone company that's locked it to them, perhaps if that's illegal in your country, and then go online and have a look and see whether that device 
is ever going to get any more security updates because if it yep. isn't you're going to be one of those guys who's at risk of security problems that to the rest of us are kind of considered written off and no longer existent and if you think updating your phone is tricky and bad and getting the vendor to, to push updates out to you, that's bad. What about all these other Internet of Things devices? Oh, don't, what, yeah. One of the things which has come out of this release from WikiLeaks is an alleged attack against smart televisions. There have been a lot of headlines about this so-called Weeping Angel attack. Clearly they were Doctor Who fans, mm. where allegedly... Uh, law enforcement agents were able to compromise Samsung smart TVs, and then even when the TVs appeared to be off, they would be secretly recording conversations. Now, what most of these headlines haven't actually got across, however, is that that particular spyware could only be installed via USB. In other words, the authorities needed physical access to your television, and many of the media have missed that point. Yeah. If you read the documents, you can see clearly there it's a USB-only thing. So in some ways, this is sort of same old, same old. We, we, intelligence agencies have been using computers, using the internet to spy on each other for ages. They've been perhaps hoarding zero-day vulnerabilities and not passing them on to vendors, which, of course, causes harm for all of us, particularly when those zero days then become public knowledge. The interesting thing right now is WikiLeaks has actually sort of sort of controlled itself a little. It hasn't released everything which it knows just yet, which isn't always the way that they are. They're not terribly good at redacting themselves on occasion. They actually aren't sharing details of all of the exploits right now. Just some? <laughs> well, they're they're sort of skirting around the issue, so that they're, they're sharing some code, but they're not they're not giving all the juicy stuff. Now, it may be that they will release that in the future. My hope and I don't know if it'll be a forlorn one, will be that they will actually share this information with the vendors because they're the people who actually have to protect against those things. But yeah. that information has somehow been stolen from the CIA, and it does look as though this is from the CIA. And that means it could be in the hands of anybody, which means all of us potentially are at risk unless these bugs get fixed. Yeah, Here's hoping for responsible disclosure. <laughs> Perhaps a bit too late. Anyway, so Duck, what's been uh, catching your imagination this week? Well, I took a look. Uh, it's not a. This is not a particularly new family of malware, but it's a sort of interesting, if you like, almost a kind of community ransomware project known as Satan. Now, as as you and I know well from from our from from the old days of antivirus. Uh, sort of occultic themes have always been rather popular with virus writers. We've had Dark Avenger, Necropolis, My Doom, uh, and Natas, if you remember, which is Satan backwards, yes. Satan Bug. Those are written by the same guy. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's that's kind of what attracts everyone's attention because there's there's all this this doom laden imagery. Basically, they're fourteen year old boys, is what you're telling me. Or they're Iron Maiden fans. It seems that in this case, there may be a little bit more to it than that, because uh, what you actually do is you go to, you, you find out the, the .onion address, and you go to this uh, portal, if you like, via Tor on the dark web, and then you sign up and you create an account. Obviously, it's anonymous. And what you do is, instead of just downloading the ransomware or the source code and going off and doing your thing, you kind of join a club. And basically, the... 
the back end to Satan generates you a unique copy of the malware, which is tailored to the ransom that you want to ask. So you can say, well, I want to charge half a Bitcoin and then I want to wait a week and then I want to ramp the price up to one Bitcoin. And you can set those parameters. So you get the malware tailored to you. You get some delivery tools, script tools that it generates for you that you can copy and paste. Then the crooks actually deal with collecting the Bitcoins. And of course, you have complete faith in them to be quite honest about how much revenue they've generated and they take 30 percent of the proceeds and send the rest back out to you via bitcoin so they're they're running the infrastructure they are doing the bitcoin processing they're generating the malware and there's even oh dear there's i'm guessing there's a fee for this yeah 30 percent so it's it's oh yes of course yeah yeah that you so make yeah. yeah and I was I, yeah. when I looked at that I thought I wonder where they got thirty percent from it couldn't be that they thought hey it worked for iTunes it'll work for us <laughs> could it and I guess that's exactly what they are doing they say there's no upfront fee you just pay as you go we take thirty percent just for doing the collection and you get to decide and uh, the minimum the minimum payment is zero dot one bitcoins per go which is the current rate about one hundred and twenty five U S so. Mm. They've got, fortunately, the malware it generates, you know, most products, decent antivirus products these days will mop it up. Um, But it's just this this whole kind of, well, join the club and we'll take care of everything. And you don't, all you have to do is worry about, think about how you're going to disseminate the malware to people. Yes, it it sounds like you don't really have to be that technical at all to to jump on the ransomware business. Well, you've got to get on, you have to get on to tour and get get to the actual location. All right. That's not. uh, But then you need to know how to to pay people in Bitcoins if you're going to be a victim, don't you? I mean, it's just following a process. It's just, okay here's the word document it's going to tell me how to set up tour and how to how to find this place but ultimately the satan service is basically white labeling some ransomware for you isn't it and then it, yep. all you've got to do is what spam it out to people or plant it somewhere and what's really galling is there's even this kind of community part of the website where if they don't support your language for the pay page um, you can go in and provide a translation and they'll verify it and then they'll make it available to everybody else Wow. So there's like a page where you get, you know, put in your localization strings for all the for all the text, yeah. you know, sentences like your personal files have been encrypted and don't think of trying to do this yourself. And you've got five days and all that stuff. I wonder if people are attracted to it because it distances themselves from the actual ransomware. So like, say, for example, it's an insider job, for instance. Right. And you wanted to get back at your employer for whatever reason you're disgruntled. I wonder if this is attractive from that point of view. That you know your your involvement was is pretty well hidden. I don't. To be honest, I don't think we've seen that many samples of this going around. So I don't think it. Fortunately, it hasn't taken off as a as a giant business thing. But now we've mentioned it on Smashing Security, well, everyone will be looking for yes, it. Right? Thanks, Duck. Thank you. <laughs> no. Well, you know you. you as you know, on Naked Security, we like to end our articles with a section that says what to do. And in this one, I put this. The answer to that bit's really simple. Don't, you know, yeah. you don't get involved in this. And if you do and you get caught, then please don't expect any sympathy. The courts are not going to look kindly on you and they're not going to say, oh, well, someone else did the dirty work and I only clicked a few buttons. It's not like that. You know, you're you're demanding money with menaces. And that's a pretty serious crime in any country. Don't do it, folks. Don't, don't do, do it, it. folks. No, do something more worthwhile with your time instead, like playing the Nintendo Classic Mini. And you know what? If you do it and you get caught, don't ask for bail. 
start doing your time because you are going to get a custodial sentence. You may as well start <laughs> eating into the time you're going to have to serve while you're remanded in custody. <laughs> That's my opinion anyway. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Doug. Crow, what have you got for us? Well, I have a question to start. Ooh, okay. How would you guys feel about border control inspectors looking at the contents of your devices? So imagine them snooping, snooping through your apps, your accounts, social media feeds, calendars, emails, etc. Well, I don't really like them looking through my underpants and socks, to be honest. I'd be pretty uncomfortable with them <laughs> rifling through my laptop and my phone as well. No, I wouldn't like it at but all. But it is, a, it's, I mean, in the UK, it's been the law for, what, is it nearly a decade now? That they have the right to do in the same way, open your suitcase, they can look through your underpants and they can say, we, we want to have a look through your laptop. And well, therefore, make sure that if you if that bothers you, then, you know, you, you need a you need to learn how to do backups properly so that you don't have to carry everything with you, which seems a good idea anyway. Well, yes. And I think it's interesting, Doc, you say that because um, since the U.S., the new U.S. president's executive order on immigration and terrorism, fi uh, privacy groups like the EFF have voiced concerns about an increase in the number of invasive digital practices. This is what they're, you know, calling uh, these searches during border inspections. So in other words, they're worried that more travelers are being asked to surrender their devices and passcodes. Now, so I wanted to see how bad this problem was. It turns out that in 2015, about 5,000 electronic devices were inspected. So this is like a teeny tiny percentage of the what, about 400 million US arrivals slashed during 2015. However, in 2016, there was a sharp rise, it went up to 23,000 searches as opposed to 5,000. So I'm not surprised that a growing number of travelers entering the US, be they citizens or not, are looking to try and control this type of data leak at the border crossings. So uh, looking around the web, there's a number of articles on this with a lot of people providing advice. But the advice got me thinking that perhaps we weren't really uh, discussing the consequences of carrying out this advice. And I wanted to get your take on this, right? All right. Okay. So we've got for example, carrying no devices or carrying wipe devices, uh, encrypting sensitive files, refusing to comply, and then um, basically complain, uh, saying that you don't have your master password or you don't have your 2FA device with you. So these are the types of popular advice that we're seeing. And I wanted to get your talk. So what do you think about carrying no devices? Oh, I, I would find, what well, carrying no device too? I'd find that quite difficult because, I mean, I'm actually going on a trip next weekend uh, overseas and I'd feel, yeah, I'd feel lost without my smartphone or something with me or an ability to call a cab. I mean, not many people these days must be traveling with no devices. Yeah. I think it would actually be a red flag, right? I mean, I think the ultimately no one wants to get on that person's of interest list, right? Mm. Um, well, not again, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people are talking about wiping devices completely before you actually go through um, the border control. Oh, um, yes, because that, that's not going to look suspicious, is it? If you have a completely blank smartphone. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a suspicion of it. And I think the whole thing here is about basically what you're doing is trying to deny customs uh, and border control officers access to your, da to your data, right? You're trying to say, mm -hmm. and I think the passwords are just a way to get for them to get access to your data. So by de denying them access to your password, um, I don't know, you're risking being detained, you're risking your, um, your devices being seized. And I just think it's important for people to understand this, right, before they kind of decide to exercise their civil rights. Or what well, yeah, it's not I've I've always been fascinated by, if you like, what jurisdiction you're in when you're yeah. when you're airside in mm. an airport. I once had a trip. I had to fly from 
Iceland to Seattle to go and to it was a, a device driver okay. fest at Microsoft. And you think, well, that's great. I'm coming from the UK. I'm going to Iceland and then I'm going on to Seattle. Iceland's kind of halfway-ish. But it turned out that the easiest way to fly from Iceland to Seattle is via Heathrow, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but I never entered the UK and I was in this bus on on the wrong side of this chain link fence in amongst some some a sort of place where trucks get serviced. And clearly I wasn't in the UK. I never mm. had to show my passport. I, I never as far as I can see, <laughs> legally entered the UK. And if I'd made a break for it and jumped over the fence, then I would have been doing something very bad, even though I have a right to be in the UK. And I kind of figured, well, you know, what happens when, 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 you're, in the, when you're in immigration? Where are you? And uh, yeah. so it, I think it's very, if you want to be one of those people who go, oh, I know my rights, maybe you don't, because it's not, it's not quite the same as if you'd actually got across the line you're in this area where they're saying well we're deciding whether you go whether we're going to let you go forward and take those rights we've come up with a bit of a few pieces of advice on this to help you know i mean the thing to understand is that these border searches are backed by immigration and terrorism legislation so that's that's what that's the reason they're doing this so in other words being prepared to dispel any of these concerns to officers if they may if you know if they occur is a smart approach to me right so you want to be prepared for questions like what's the purpose of your visit how long is the visit, you know, have proof that you're not planning to stay in the US indefinitely, like a return ticket, um, have a clear schedule of where you're going to be, where you're going to be staying during your visit, and review what's on your devices and delete data accounts that you don't need anymore or that you don't think is appropriate for this trip. And encrypt anything sensitive. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that I hope it never happens, but it'd be nice that, you know, if you searched, if I had, did have my device searched at customs or, or technically it's not, maybe it's not customs at, you know, at the border anyway, um, I'd hope that I'd, I'd get the seal of approval from the guy saying, yes, you, you know, it's obvious that you're not trying to hide everything and you've, you've, you've let us see enough for us to make an informed decision, but you obviously don't just carry absolutely everything with you where it, where it could fall into the wrong. You want hands. a little round of applause, don't you, Doug? Yeah. You want you want a ripple. Yeah, I didn't think that through, did I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the people, the victims of you know what they feel is unwarranted digital invasion when they've crossed borders, and there are many stories out there on the web. You know, there it, it's it's not very fun for them to do, and no. I'm sure they feel that they've provided the same amount of information. It's just if you're on a list to be flagged, you know, yeah. and you're going to be on that list indefinitely, and that makes uh, international travel or travel to the US. It's going to be pretty difficult, you know. Allow more time. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's also that problem that if you do try too hard to stick up for your rights, and you say, "Well, I'm not going to let you do it," then they can just shrug and go, "Okay, then you can't come in," and they're yeah. perfectly entitled yeah. to do that. Yeah. And then the next time you go to the US or the UK or France or wherever, you have to tick that little box that says, yeah. "Have you ever been denied entry?" Yes, uh, exactly. And then underneath, tell us why. We know, but we want to see how you remember it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I heard one other interesting idea of how to deal with this. So if, if you are on a list, if you are someone who you think, you know, you'd be concerned if you were stopped. Um, obviously, we recommend on this podcast that people encrypt their hard drives and, and encrypt any sensitive information. You know, it just makes general good sense. But I've also heard this idea of you should use an encryption program which accepts more than one password. And so you have the password to decrypt your regular working computer, but maybe the encryption software could take another password, which is the one you use at border control, oh, dear. which yeah. maybe opens a different image. TrueCrypt, if you remember that. 
Bless it was yeah. True Crypt which did that, was it? Yeah. Well, it was one of them. Plausible deniability, as they call it. The idea is, yeah, that, that you know, you, you you refuse and you refuse and refuse, and they they beat you a little bit, and and you crack, and you go, oh, and you give them a bit of the past, and you give them a bit more, and then they go, yes, we've got it, and then they go in, and there's this fake persona. Do you know how hard it is to create? First, you've got you know, you've got a one terabyte hard drive which has half a terabyte hard disk on it. Well, that's interesting. Well, what's in the other half? And you. Do you know how hard it is to build a likely image if you only keep it there for occasional stuff? Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about it. If you've, yeah. say you've got a Mac and you've split it so you've got yeah. Windows and Mac, and then, you know, after, after a while, possibly several minutes, you'll realize that there's not much point in booting Windows and you'll just stick in Mac all the time, <laughs> right? And so you'll boot Windows once a month, once every two months when you need to. You're always going to be, and you know what a pain that is, because you're always so far out of date and then you have to sit for four and a half hours while the other, the, the, the partition you use less frequently. Or if you have virtual machines and you only boot them once a month you know what a pain yeah. it is you boot them up and you think oh now i have to go through the, the all the updates that i really better do it that that would have happened throughout the, the month it's really hard to keep two two lives hey, in, duck. In, in tech duck maybe border security will be so bored at the, after waiting six hours for all the microsoft windows updates to install <laughs> that they're just just wave him through we can't deal with this any longer maybe that's the way to do it well of course what it, one once once they can make an image, once they can make a, an image of your files after you've decrypted them, I suppose they they don't they if they think you're not going to vanish off the face of the earth, they could always just take an image and then let you yeah. go and then deal with exactly. The issue later. They can copy your whole hard drive, um, right, and say off you go. We know where you're staying. So I guess what's changed the game a lot, and I can understand this, is the fact that um, you know at, le- at least the premium versions of Windows and uh, all the all Linuxes and all MacOSes have well in MacOS at your file vault for example or BitLocker on Windows they have this strong full disk encryption and man you should be using that it's not there because you're a crook or mm. a terrorist it's yep. there because people lose laptops and it shouldn't mm. be so yeah. easy that a crook can wander up boot your device off a usb key and copy off every single file without even needing to know how that works it can be automated it shouldn't be that easy so you should be using full disk encryption but then i guess the flip side is that means that at the border they can't just go okay we're going to take an image we're going to image your disk because then they get the encrypted image and it would be no use so i guess Mm. that's also as more and more people try to comply with you know what say the information commissioner's office would love them to do and not have unencrypted laptops wandering around in public as you try Mm. and as you try and do the right thing from one side of the of the the government's viewpoint then yep. the other side yes. is in this position that they actually <laughs> have to sort of stop you and say, look, you need to put in your password. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? Carol, is there anywhere where people can go to read more about this and <laughs> Thank you. get some uh, advice? Yes. Yeah, no, I'd recommend actually reading um, this great article by The Grug. It's a, he's a security and counterintelligence expert, um, and he deals with the consequences pretty honestly, I felt. So there's a note in the show links for anyone who wants to read more. Cool. And finally, okay. if anyone actually feels like they've been a victim of unwarranted digital invasion, um, the EFF would love to hear from you. So do email borders at EFF.org if you have a story to tell. Was that a pun, unwarranted? <laughs> because that's the whole, that's that's part of the legalese, isn't it? That actually when you're in that, what you might call the no man's land, um, then the usual stuff about warrants and 
first second third fourth fifth amendments don't really apply you're in a kind of you're in a you're in a zone with sort of its own laws its own different yeah i think edward, edward snowden was lost in one wasn't he for a while i think at, at moscow airport and then of course tom hanks famously yes. wasn't well, snowden while, actually he was in transit but it was actually in some like the nth floor of, a, of the hotel outside oh, the airport and then he couldn't leave the hotel or something it, it, it does get and, and of course we've got mr assange in the in the ecuadorian flat in kensington and he's not in, he's not in the uk but he's certainly in the british isles so yes. that yeah that it gets a bit legally crazy in places like that doesn't it it does well look i think our time is up thank you very much um paul for joining us today it's fantastic as always to have you on the podcast oh, thank you Carol, as well don't forget, folks, we're on iTunes and Google Play Music and Stitcher and Overcast and all kinds of other podcast apps as well. Even if you have one of those ghastly Amazon Echoes, you can get us. If you if you have one of those, oh, that's like the ever-seeing eye of Sauron in your kitchen. If you are using one of those things, you can also listen to the podcast there. So check us out. Please leave a review. It really, really helps. We really appreciate everybody who's leaving us reviews on iTunes. It's fantastic and gives us more exposure to other people and yes. hopefully spreads the word and really makes a big difference. Um, so thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, tell your friends and follow us on Twitter. We are at Smash In Security. That's Smash In without a G security because... Twitter wouldn't give us enough characters. Why isn't our podcast name Smash In Security? Because we're on episode 11 now, Carol. <laughs> it's going to be confusing. Do you think we should change the name of the podcast? Tell us on Twitter if we should change the name of the podcast. Um, why not? Thanks, chaps. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye. Graham. Yeah? Don't you have something to share with us before we go? Something to share with you. Before yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yes, you're right. Absolutely. Um, we have to say thank you to Forces, who are supporting the show this week. And they've got a fantastic offer for Smashing Security listeners. If you go to forces.co.uk slash toolkit, you can download their pack, which gives you everything you need to raise awareness about computer security issues inside your organization and train your staff. Do you remember the URL, Carol? Um, yes. Forces.co.uk slash toolkit. How do you spell forces? F-O-U-R-S-Y-S. Very good. Bye. I should charge for the jingle.